Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 35 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. This episode is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, with Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including beginning mandolin, intermediate bluegrass mandolin, and fingerboard method, which is a brand new one with Sharon Gilchrist, bluegrass mandolin jam favorites, and the advancing mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe-style mandolin with Mike Compton, melodic mandolin tunes with John Reichman, chord melody mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish mandolin with Marla Fibish, and theory for mandolin, and fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com. Use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. Hey, everybody. I hope you all are doing all right. Some wild times out there changing every day. Last week's guest, Andy Statman, has been diagnosed with the coronavirus. So sending all my thoughts and good vibes and healing thoughts out to them up there and everybody else who's experiencing all this stuff. And I also uh, I also want to give a shout out to, uh, there's one more sponsor this week, Prohibition, which, which is an incredible bar and restaurant here in downtown Charleston on King Street. I've been playing there every Saturday and Sunday now for their brunch for the last four or five years. And they've dis- decided to help out and sponsor the month of April. And that really means a lot to me because they are not even open at the moment. Um, but uh, everybody there, Ray and all the bartenders, and I really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much. So be sure if you're in Charleston, once all this stuff lifts, go to Prohibition. Actually, Charleston and Savannah, they've got a place in Savannah as well. So this is also brought to you by Prohibition. Um, be sure to go to check out, uh, Tim sent me some stuff. He was supposed to teach a mandolin camp that, and obviously a lot of mandolin camps are being canceled. And so he's found a way to put it online and you can find the link to that. We talk about it here in the podcast. You can go to mandolinsofbeer.com and you can find the link to join that. So be sure to check that out. He's also got an incredible album, Mandalone, and he's got a corresponding book with it as well that you can get. So you can also get those at his website. And I'll have links to all that. We also talk about Hamilton de Holanda. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, We play one of his songs, and he's got a a website where you can actually download for free um, one of his albums. It's actually two CDs and the PDF files of the sheet music. And I'll have a link to that as well. If you have some downtime, that's some great stuff to dig into. It's all right there written out. It's in standard notation, but uh, it's better than nothing. And um, and also, there is a ton of great music on this episode. So if you go to the Spotify playlist that I made up, you'll be able to hear the full versions of the songs, except for the um, version to yesterday. That's only available through Tim's website, and I highly recommend you go there and purchase that album right from Tim. I want to thank everybody who's bought merch uh, in this past week. It really, really has helped. I've had some new Patreon subscribers, too. I entered a new course on right-hand technique and relaxing your right hand. I've got a couple more that I'm going to be putting up here this week. One on triplets, another one on triplets, actually, a really cool exercise that I've been working through. And one that you can actually, um, if you give the notes, the numbers, and recognize them by the number scale instead of the names of them, you can transpose them to any key by knowing um, what the number is. So it's always the second. It's going to be the second no matter what key it's in. Uh, Anyway, thank you so much. That's on Patreon. Thank you to the Patreon subscribers. It really, really helps. I appreciate it. Um, Merchandise at mandolinsofbeer.com. 
Maybe even a new black tie-dyed t-shirt. We'll see how this experiment works out. Um, and thank you all so much. Hit subscribe. Leave a review if you got a moment. Cheers, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. All right, now I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Tim Connell. Tim, how are you doing? Hi, Daniel. Thank you. Glad to be here. Doing good. Man, glad to glad to have you here. I'm a, I'm a big yeah. fan. Your album, June Apple, uh, that you did with Eric Sky, actually, um, I discovered it uh, at a perfect time. I had to have back surgery, and so I was bed-bound for two weeks. And uh, that album and Django Reinhardt's Greatest Hits played nonstop for me oh, for that wow, time. Oh, man. <laughs> glad so. to be in such noble company. Oh, man. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I just, uh, the, awesome. your takes on the tunes... The uh, the sound quality, your tone, that, uh, that's so good. Wow, thanks, Daniel. Appreciate yeah, it. you're welcome. And it wasn't just the painkillers because <laughs> I, st- <laughs> yeah, I still continue. I still continued listening afterwards. Oh, good. It worked without them. Good. <laughs> yeah, okay. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> so um, I, I, we're we're interviewing this. Or we're doing this interview now at kind of a crazy time in the world. And one of the things you were just talking about was one of the big camps that you were uh, scheduled to teach at has been canceled. Yeah, the Walker Creek Music Camp in California. Like, I'm sure any other camp that's, you know, on the docket for April and May. But yeah, that just got canceled. Right. But you have got a great workaround for that, for people who were going to go and for anybody else who wasn't planning on going, they can now experience this. So let's talk about that. Yeah, we're just uh, doing the class. I was slated to teach a swing mandolin. So I was going to do just repertoire, like five tunes, chords and melody. Um, you know, just really just giving out fingerings, not getting too hung up on the theory of it and just, you know, get some swing tunes together so we could jam all weekend. Uh, so I'm doing it online through a Zoom uh, conference thing, doing the whole class online. So the students in the camp, I'm offering it. Hopefully most of them stick with me, but uh, it's it's going to be open to the whole world, too. So I can, you know, accept as many people as want to come on in. That's great. Do you know the tunes? Um, let's see. Not perfectly, but I know that minor, <laughs> minor, minor swing is in there. Cool. Sweet Sue is in there. Um, shoot, what were the other three? I did, I did them like last week. <laughs> got them together. Uh, definitely minor swing and Sweet Sue will be the two main ones. And the, and the top priority, I believe it's I Can't Give You Anything But Love, Bossa Dorado, and I'm missing the fifth one. That's all right. They can always email yeah. you. Um, yeah, and- I'm getting the whole flyer and the online thing together right now. So by the time this airs, I'm sure they'll be able to click and sign up and get some info. That's great. That's great. And then you also yeah, just had Don Julin up with you. Yeah, Don Julin, great mandolin player from Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, we did some uh, tours last year, just about eight dates. And then uh, this uh, winter, he was coming out to Wintergrass Festival in Seattle. So he decided uh, we, we'd been wanting to record. We had a really great duo, just two mandolins, two mandolin duos. Um, we just wanted to record it. So after Wintergrass and a few dates in Idaho and Oregon, he rented an Airbnb cabin up in the woods, kind of by Mount Hood. And, nice. Uh, we sequestered ourselves for about four days, and I think it's going to be a pretty good album. It's sounding good to me, anyway. Oh man, I'm so, sure. I'm yeah, sure it's going to be a good album. Probably out in September. I imagine. We literally just did this. This was two weeks ago. So. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm excited yeah, to hear still that. Still kind of kind of buzzing from that. It feels really good. He's awesome, and we seem to gel together nicely. How did you uh, meet John? Because I you uh, or John Don? How did you meet yeah, Don? Don? I um, think it would have been Mandolin Symposium first. Oh, cool. Um, we both came as students to Mandolin Symposium. So. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, at least two years there. And then there was a Shoro camp, a Brazilian music camp that Don came out to in Pacific Northwest in uh, Washington State. 
So we definitely had some good time there at that one. Yeah, and that's so cool. Yeah, it's yeah. such a drag that these camps and and all these festivals and all these things are uh, are getting knocked down. But in, in in a strange way, it couldn't happen at a better time because if you want to connect with one of your mandolin heroes and take lessons or oh you know, yeah Skype, I mean, <laughs> this is if it was going to happen, it's now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure this is, yeah, this is like two weeks air time. I'm sure everyone's hip to this, but if you aren't, yeah, there's a level of availability now with people that might not have taught lessons before or ones that did that are now expanding pretty rapidly. So that's for me and a lot of my colleagues anyway. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. So get out there and support your uh, support your favorite musician right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, everyone, you know, also aware there's a lot of people harder hit than us too. So if there's yeah. already folks from they have the restaurant job. That's all they got. So fortunately, the online thing is really just for us, too. It's a fortunate time for this to happen because I've already had a long time teaching private Skype lessons. And now I'm just trying to get my act together to offer group lessons on Zoom. So, you yeah, know, everyone's everyone's dealing with their technophobia and just getting over it right now. I think. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of computer whizzes after this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what drew you to playing mandolin? Wow. Um, it was not like an instant thing, like a love affair thing. I'd, I'd already played um, as a kid piano, like piano lessons when I was young, taught myself guitar in middle school, um, played bass, guitar and piano in like any musical ensemble in school, which for me was Broadway shows, musicals, uh, the jazz band. We had a Dixieland band, which is pretty cool, playing some of that old repertoire, like from Louis Armstrong. I played piano in that. Um and, and our, you know, garage bands, of course, you know, I had my rock band, had a four track. So oh, yeah. it started out really not knowing anything about folk music or stringed instruments beyond the guitar and bass, really. But I was into Irish music, just I'd seen if in Philadelphia, my dad took me to a few restaurants where they had the Irish band or the Irish session, just, you know, here and there. And I, I liked it. I thought it was cool. And I liked the band, the Pogues, uh, British, Irish, British punk band. Yeah that had kind of Irish theme to it. And yeah, the tin whistle definitely in that band. Spoke to me. I thought it was cool. So then I took tin whistle lessons. It was kind of a fluke. They offered it at my college. Uh, oh, did year. they? Did they really? Yeah, it was like every Tuesday. There was a grad student, Maeve, from uh, uh, University College Cork, the sister school, and she came over. And part of her, you know, duty was to teach a whistle class once a week. So yeah, that's kind of where the folk music thing started. She taught it by ear. I got really into learning these melodies. I was really in love with the ornamentation, actually, the cool little rolls and trills you can do on the whistle, and. uh yeah, suddenly that was like my side project alongside doing all the bass and, you know, piano stuff. And then, I, you know, mandolin ended up being one of the instruments at the sessions. And, you know, other people had it. So I just I got one for 75 bucks and learned a few tunes, a few of my whistle tunes on the mandolin. Oh, cool. And, you know, it was just one of those things. I knew a few Irish tunes and didn't think much of it. And then uh, took a klezmer music class, Yiddish music performance class, when I was a, a student at New England Conservatory. Oh, nice. Actually interviewing Andy Statman right after this. Oh, yeah, cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so part of the class was learning, you know, all these um, 
Yiddish melodies, for lack of a better word. It would be singers, clarinet players, violinists. Uh, I think one of them was a mandolin. I think one of them might have been Andy Statman or it might have been Jeff Warshower, also from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the teacher was great, and it was basically all of us having to learn these melodies and analyze them and especially analyze the ornamentation and what it meant and everything. So kind of what I've been doing with Irish music anyway. Anyway, that teacher kind of went through my instruments and said, oh, mandolin. Yeah, that's that's an actual klezmer instrument. So I ended up having a crash course on the mandolin to keep up with all these musicians who were masters of their instrument. <laughs> and yeah, that's how I got into it. I suddenly said, oh, this is cool. I'd never quite learned arpeggios on guitar and like all hadn't, you know, exhausted my knowledge of the fretboard at all. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was cool to do that on mandolin. I kind of got into that and learned stuff beyond the Irish scales. And once I had it all, I said, man, this is pretty cool. I could play anything I want on this because it's chromatic unlike the tin whistle (laughs) right yeah so yeah and sooner or later i just got sick of playing five instruments kind of so-so and wanted to focus on one and it just seemed like the obvious the obvious one that i could kind of keep up with all the various genres of music that that i was into that's awesome so that's it kind of a long boring tale not at all but but once i get into it i just there's a lot of benefits to it i love that you can play you know percussion basically with the right hand I love that it's a real percussive instrument. At the same time, you can use tremolo to be just like a violin or a singer. Yeah, it's so musical, this yeah. tiny little thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. So. It's interesting you would say that, too, about the um, like the guitar board, because it seems like a, a lot of people I know who play mandolin um, also play guitar first, but there's something about the mandolin. I don't know if it's the musicality of just playing alone, uh, but like just seem to dive into more of the theory behind it and learning all of the neck and learning more things than, than guitar. Maybe it doesn't seem as intimidating. I'm not sure what it is, but yeah, it might be a guitar. You got chords. So if you're a singer, if you're a singer, you can just, you get a lot out of it just by strumming chords or picking chords. Whereas mandolin, it's like, okay, you've got to kind of figure out what to do with this because you don't have that low end bottom to, and not, yeah, I guess there's more bass notes on the guitar because there's more strings. So you have more possibilities. Mandolin, you just, chords are a little unsatisfying to me yeah yeah especially singing over them <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you can do it i'm learning how to do it i've put in a few songs in my solo set that sort of feature interesting mandolin accompaniment oh cool it's fun it's cool but yeah it's not like that instant hit you get once you learn a c chord an f chord and a g chord on guitar right yeah you got to work it <laughs> yeah so did you i mean you went to school for for music what was the what was the main uh, e- eventually daniel okay. I, w- I went yeah i went to, i didn't really didn't have anyone in my life I knew who was a professional musician or who even went to music school. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, wasn't on my radar. So I went to college for undergrad for, I ended up just no major, didn't know what I was doing, was pretty psycho about music, but like didn't, didn't really know a path to into these conservatories or anything. It hadn't occurred to me and my family, I guess. So I ended up at a college like Liberals College and I'm also really into language. So I ended up studying linguistics just to have a major basically. And and I'm still fascinated by language. I went to Germany and for a year and got to study that language intensely, which was awesome. Uh, so it was kind of a weird thing. And then I was just playing music after college and pretty stuck. You know, it's tough to make a living in Boston playing music. So decided I'll get my teaching certificate and, you know, be ready to teach at least. And uh, New England Conservatory was the, the right place because they had just had a, started a master's in uh, music ed. So that's how that's how I ended up going to music school. It was kind of sideways. And once I got there, uh, to be honest, I kind of 
kind of slacked on the music ed courses because I was finally at a music school and I <laughs> was able to take all these amazing classes. I was like a kid in a candy store. So I audited and took every solfege, jazz, harmony, like, you know, everything that I've been trying to figure out on my own and with friends finally it was like, all right, I got two years. Let's let's take advantage of this. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And the, during that time, that was the Yiddish music class. That's when I got into mandolin pretty seriously. And there was a great teacher there too, Robert Sullivan, Bob Sullivan. He was he's a guitar teacher at NEC. But when the rare occasion arose that someone needed a mandolin lesson, he stepped in. So he he went a very classical technique. So he helped me with my pick hold, which was a little funky <laughs> from uh, teaching myself guitar. And I'm really grateful. It took about eight months to fix it, and I'm glad he did. And uh, gave me good classical exercises too. So kind of got me got me started there, along with Hank Isnetsky, the Yiddish music teacher. Oh, that's great. It's awesome to have somebody correct those things for you. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, it was pretty harsh at first, man. It just didn't work, you know, so at gigs, I'd have to go back to my old way. But right. it was, it's worth it in the long run. Right. So how did you get all, uh, across the country over to Portland? Um, pretty much just a decision uh, based on that Portland seemed like a cool place to live. Mm -hmm. I kind of been hearing about it as a I'm, I'm an urban guy. You know, I was in Boston and Philly, and I kept hearing about Portland as a good city where you didn't need a car you could bike and there was you know a cool music scene so my sister moved here though uh shortly after that so i had a chance to visit and kind of confirmed the rumors and she was having a good time so i said let's just do this oh, that's cool how long have you been out there for that was 2001 that we oh, wow. finally moved yeah wow so nice and coming up on 20 years that's great did you go right into the music scene then right there yeah, almost immediately. I had a band, uh, the the well, it's called the Old Yellers now. Back then we were called Cornbread, and it was a six piece. And yeah, it was real fun. I was kind of instantly out playing in uh, bars and stuff and private parties. We wrote some songs too, and I also hunkered down and really devoted myself to mandolin during that time too. Who were some of the uh, Who were some of the artists that you were studying when you were really hunkering down? Uh, once I got deep into the mandolin thing. Mm -hmm. um, Really, Jacob de Bondolim. Jacob of the mandolin. His real name's Jacob Betancourt. So he recorded. He's the kind of the guy that uh, codified the the style of Brazilian mandolin, Choro mandolin, back in the fifties and sixties with a whole bunch of recordings. So, man, and so yeah, really good. into him. Yeah, and I I'd had the fortune at this mandolin symposium that I mentioned earlier, where Don and I met. Uh, that uh, some of the current artists from that genre, the young guys, were coming up and teaching at that camp. So I got to know those guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, they showed me, here's the recordings, here's what Jacob does, and kind of kept kicking my butt year after year as I came back to that camp. <laughs> yeah, so Jacob was a big one. Mike Marshall was a gigantic influence, just the way he improvises, um, just uh, his, his ability to go from style to style uh, really spoke to me. So he was a huge influence. Uh,
recording he did into the cauldron with Chris Dealey was obvious. That was kind of when I was getting into it. That had just come out. Um, yeah, Don Sternberg, Angel Eyes. That CD was one of the ones I bought at the first mandolin symposium, and definitely was on constant rotation. So that right hand, the tone, just tremolo especially, affected me the way Don plays. Thing. I mean, there everyone is the answer to that. I, I, <laughs> right. I, I, once I got into it and realized, you know, I learned about all these mandolin players I didn't know existed. Yeah, I mean, Radim Zenkel was was influential the first couple years there. Um, and these were mostly people I had met at the symposium, so I had a, you know, a personal connection too. Yeah, that's so cool. I never made it out to those symposiums, but man, it always looked like every year I'd see the staff and I'd be like, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the best part. They kept the staff fresh and like, you know, changing. And the, there were locals too who showed up that weren't on the staff, but were really great. So I got to know people in the Bay Area who play the instrument too. Oh, wow. That you wouldn't even know about really um, unless you lived out here and they're phenomenal. So that's so cool. Yeah. So like Ted Falcon and Eva Sco, for example, those two were the ones that before the Brazilian guys started coming to that camp, those two led the Shoro jam and were kind of my connection to two Americans who knew how to play that music. Oh so man. They were, they were pretty huge actually. And they were super accessible at camp. So I'm friends with Ted now. I've lost touch with Eva, but she's a great mandolin player down in Fresno, California. Yes. So many, so many out there to, <laughs> so many to discover. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So when you hunker down, um, you, you got all these styles, you got Mike Marshall and, you know, the Charo. How did you, how did you sort of, um, what did a practice day look like for you, for somebody who's delving in, especially now, I think, you know, possibly yeah, a lot of yeah, people, people do have time. Yeah. What's a good way to structure or try to structure a day to maintain focus? Um, yeah, I guess I, I don't, I don't do that a whole lot now. So <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really busy doing my business, but when I was doing this, I had a job that enabled me to practice a lot. It was, I had some time each day. Mm -hmm. But it, but it had to be structured. So yeah. um, my well, recommendation, you have very little time and you have, you know, some skills on the instrument. You're not just learning from scratch. If I only had 10 minutes a day to practice, I would find one piece of repertoire, a, a tune, a melody, maybe with chords or maybe just a melody, if that's your thing. And, you know, not too easy, but not too hard. And every every whatever time you have this 10 minute session, delve deeply into a small section of it. You know, you can't play it all through yet. So f find something to fix and learn and improve so that eventually you have that long term goal, maybe in a week or two weeks or two months that you're going to be able to play the tune fluently and beautifully. So that that's because then you, you have all these little problems <laughs> that maybe you mark with a pencil and you can go and kind of not play the whole tune and feel overwhelmed, but hit one of those things, you know, and that's a good use of 10 minutes. And it can be really meditated. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And so what about what about like when you would sit down for like a four hour hunk of time, for example, or just saying, you know, like, yeah, I have all day to practice today. And yeah, yeah that's what I'm going to keep doing. Yeah, so I wouldn't do it four hours. First of all, you take a break every 45 minutes. Sure, um, sure. Just 
force yourself you set the alarm or <laughs> yeah. whatever and during those times my i'm not saying that i have a great method or anything but i did you know this is what i did I'd, I'd always write a list on a piece of scrap paper of what i wanted to accomplish and fairly detailed like bullet point like i want to get the, you know those third and fourth measure of this tune or drive me crazy i want to fix that issue right there that would be an example you know it wouldn't just be like play through the 10 fiddle tunes or, or that could be one maybe i do just have to hit some tunes that i already know just to keep them maintained mm -hmm. but these bullet points would be pretty specific and i guess varied you know i'll do some intense work on two measures and fix something that's bugging me but then i let myself just you know let's improvise to autumn leaves in the key of g or e minor so that would be a real easy thing after so kind of back and forth so you don't get too stuck sure yeah um yeah and just you know the first 10 or 15 minutes uh maybe 20 minutes if i have four hours man half hour would be really loosening up and stretching taking it super slow and quiet slow is is the key word for right hand to get that relaxed and quiet's a good idea too you don't pound away right away so that and you keep stretching take little stretch breaks every two or three minutes you know for that warm-up sure sure yeah, just this is in an ideal world. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> just first of all, this yeah, isn't like my no, life no. right now. I, no, but yeah, no. but when things were going well, I was pretty religious about it as far as ritualistic and like kind of treating the time well and getting right to it. And part yeah, what really helped for me was the bullet point list, prioritizing and having a plan if you were going to devote 45 minutes. And you said you, you may not be like the most – uh, the best structured person, but listening to your playing, any advice you that you could give out that people could listen to is great because your playing is so good. And you can tell that well, it's thanks. just been worked on and, and, and a lot of time into it as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and anytime my big joke on here is always like, you know, it's what, what is, what's going to keep me off Netflix? <laughs> I mean, like, we'll work on this. Oh, look at Netflix is on. And then two hours later, I didn't do any, you know? Well, here's like a dirty secret. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard from other musicians, but one, I mean, it's definitely good to not practice with any distractions when you're, you know, learning tune and kind for of fixing sure. things and figuring things out. But for me, like sitting down in front of some TV, that's pretty mindless that either a movie I've already seen or, you know, a, Netflix series the second time around or late, like late show comedy is great. I used to always have Leno or Letterman kind of back and forth, but you know, say you've learned the pentatonic scale in a, and you know, you learned it, but you haven't memorized it. Perfect time to just keep going up and down that scale and drill it in. If you've kind of got the basics enough, just put on something stupid on TV because that's grunt work. And I find it makes my brain relax and kind of be able to keep doing repetitive things to drill them in. Basically, if I'm, if I'm doing something else. And yeah, Netflix seems to fill that void. <laughs> yeah, unless it's Narcos with all the subtitles. <laughs> You're like, oh man, I got to back it up 20 minutes here. And I'm like, Nar Nar Narcos was awesome. And ones oh, that don't have too much so music great. too. Yeah, yeah ones, ones that don't have too much music. Sometimes the music, you know, I'm, I'm practicing here, guys. No, no soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. Let's see what you guys are trying to do <laughs> no, to but here. I mean, that's, you know, be careful too. You don't want to sit on a couch and practice. I've definitely woken up the next morning a little stiff because I wasn't postured correctly. And, and also you tend to go on too long. You know, if you're mm -hmm. watching TV three hours, you realize, man, I haven't taken my fingers off this neck for three hours. Yeah. So be careful out there, too. With that. Yeah. Oh, and posture is a big thing, though, too. Um, I find if I work on something sitting weird on the couch and then try to stand up and play it or try to throw it in at a gig, suddenly I'm like, oh, man, this, uh, this is a little bit different than when I was working on it here. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between standing and sitting, too. I had to really 
puzzle. Some of my students ask me that, and it's true. Like when I started doing gigs where I was standing, having sat all day practicing, my technique went haywire a little bit. And um, so, I, you know, the solution for me was to start practicing standing up also. And yeah, it's a little, it's a little different. Things wobbling around a bit where ordinarily be sitting on your thigh. So what are the, uh, do you remember the first tune that you actually, uh, when, you, when you're playing the mandolin and just like, oh my gosh, this is, I've made it. I've been w- working <laughs> on this song for who knows how long. And then suddenly one day you're um, like, I got it. Yeah. I, well, the Irish tunes were, were thrilling. It was nice to have, you know, these things I was pretty good at on whistle on mandolin. So the first ones I learned were these Irish jigs and reels that I was playing up in Boston. Um, but yeah, I had, it wasn't quite, I wasn't that into mandolin I, I think when i'd started taking it outside irish after the well for, you know the answer that's the yiddish music class that's that's when i had some of those tunes really good uh picture klezmer kind of you know like havana gila style that yeah kind. yeah some, some slower ones too but that kind of scale that kind of groove and ornamentation mm-hmm. yeah that's when i became hooked honest honestly that class and some of the tunes i still play um yeah um I don't know. I don't know if I could pinpoint a single tune, but that class was definitely where I felt like, wow, this is, but as, I don't know if you mean arrived, like I finally cracked this thing and it's not stressful and tense anymore. I don't know. That was a gradual process. Yeah, sure. Oh yeah. Probably still ongoing, I would imagine. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've, I've rested on my laurels the past couple of years for sure. <laughs> kind of. I have, I mean, I've had a lot of tour dates and not enough time to practice. So I've kind of just been going out there. And, you know, hoping for the best on a lot of occasions. And there's something important to that, too. So I've just been letting it happen in a way where I used to get stressed out about an individual gig, say. When did you uh, when did you start getting into the swing? Um, It was uh, right there with the Irish whistle. Even before I had the mandolin, my roommate was this guy, Mike Horowitz, who now runs uh, djangobooks.com up in Seattle. Oh, yeah. It's like an online service, but he was my housemate. We met because he was in the whistle class, that tin whistle class I was talking about. Oh, no kidding. At, yeah, at Boston College. He was at Berkeley at the time doing engineering, uh, you know, like sound. Um, yeah, so we became friends and playing the whistle, basically Irish music, and uh, moved in and uh, were roommates for a year. And during that year, he was uh, not yet, you know, playing Django. He was really into Irish dad guy guitar at the backing kind of tuning that uh guitarists use so we played i played whistle and he played guitar but he was listening to django a lot and that's when i started listening to django and i thought it was amazing django and stefan the old recordings and um yeah i was aware of it then i saw stefan grappelli twice when i was in boston a couple years after that oh uh, live yeah he came on tour two years in a row mac blazer brought him over and yeah i saw him at uh, sanders theater at harvard then jordan hall at nec and yeah, so after seeing him just live and better than ever, really, he was, he was sounded beautiful. Um, yeah, I got pretty into it and I just didn't know how to do it though. Even though I played mandolin, could read it, there wasn't really material out there at that point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd learned melodies for sure. I wasn't quite sure of the chords and I suppose, uh, it wasn't until about 2005 when I was starting to go to mandolin symposium. I just went to the local gypsy jazz jam here in Portland. And that was my entree to saying, ah, oh, I get it. You learn the chords and here the, I kind of figured out how it works. Yeah. A little late in the game. I don't know. I don't know what the, the block was because I could play jazz on piano. I played jazz bass. So just just one of those things. But once I started hanging out with the guitar players, basically, I got my act together. Yeah. What are some of the things that you feel that maybe kind of broke that open for you that you when you talk about those guitar players? 
Uh, it was going to the jam every Sunday, 4 p.m., same tunes. I took the charts home. I had time to, you know, learn new chords, learn new keys, learn the heads. And I, I had not been an improviser at that point either. So that oh, was no kidding. kind of big stumbling block. Yeah, because I play bass. There's a bit of improvisation in the bass. So I knew arpeggios pretty well, but I didn't. My solos would come out totally arpeggiated. Kind of. It would be real clunky and exercisey, you know, so that was a that was a journey, too. But I did play in the big band in high school. So as early as 13 years old, I was sitting at the piano playing, you know, these high school charts of Count Basie and Duke Ellington. And, that is know, sweet. Big band <laughs> charts. And, that, and then at college, I did that on bass. I switched to bass. So and yeah, I did the tuxedo wedding band playing, you know, in the mood in Philly for several years. On the bass <laughs> cool. While I was studying the mandolin kind of off on the side. <laughs> so, yeah, jazz itself is pretty ingrained, you know, in my in what I do. So on the mandolin, it's that wasn't a big stretch. It was just figuring out the basically the chords and how to improvise was the real problem. Because yeah. I, mean, I find that uh, interesting because uh, the Stumptown Swing album is yeah. um, it. it so good. Yeah, man. There's there's no yeah. clunky. There's nothing clunky about that at all. You can. It just it's, it flows so smooth and and even just like yeah, watching the yeah. live videos. Right. Yeah. That band. That's a real working band too. We came up doing. You know, that was intentional. There's swing dances here, like live swing where they teach lessons before the dance and then a live band plays. So that was our gig, and that thing really was born in, you know, making people dance. A lot of what I do in that band is just the rhythmic hits, too. I mean, I take solos and play melodies, but on stage anyway, my job is that of the, the horn arranger, the trumpet specifically. And when you're thinking big band, think like Duke Ellington or Count Basie. Um, yeah, what I do a lot are those horn hits, and I improvise them. They're not too arranged. So You yeah. are into it, by the way, too, man. I love it. Dude, <laughs> yeah. You can tell it's the real it's the real deal yeah. when you watch when you watch you play. You are very uh <laughs> Yeah, Stumptown's Stumptown's the party band. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and Ben is the violin player, Ben Blackman, and uh the two of us have just developed this thing where we play off each other and kind of go a little crazy. Yeah, there's uh I wish I could remember now which song it was I was watching in prepping for this interview and mm -hmm. there was a great trade off section in the in the song and i'm like man i gotta need to bookmark yeah. this one to go back and uh <laughs> cool. yeah it was really cool man yeah i always look forward to those gigs we just hadn't canceled last week was the we play every second thursday still at the swing dance and it's like always a blast oh yeah these cancellations man <laughs> yeah let's not get into that yeah yeah no doubt so um <laughs> it, it's a, I, I i get different answers on this one when you started listening to the Django stuff did you focus on the Django guitar parts did you focus on Grappelli's uh, violin parts you know i i didn't i never did the thing and anyone who's if you do get some town swing this is probably really obvious i never went and learned licks from those masters from back in the day um what i did was i knew all my arpeggios i started loosening up as an improviser by uh doing more uh, pentatonic scale and just like letting myself forget about what chords were going and trusting that 
the G major scale was going to be fine for this, <laughs> these eight measures, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, and I had a wealth, obviously, the rhythmic stuff and the, the feel of swing just from the other instruments. So I don't know. For me, it came from learning the melodies and playing them with play-alongs and then playing them at the jams. And then the chord progressions, once I learned the left-hand fingerings, kind of made figured out the whole, you know, the voicing thing for moving smoothly amongst those seven chords and six chords. Then I was set. And so I had that together. And what I really didn't do was learn Django licks or Stefan licks. Um, I did transcribe a lot of Jacob de Bondeline. And he that that comes out pretty clearly, I think. Yeah, if, if for sure. <laughs> when I play Django music. Um, so that's kind of what I did. What um for the improv improvisation, because that seems to be a big thing for a lot of players who, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even people who go to jams, it seems like to be the number one question I see, like on the Mandolin Cafe forum or something like that is just like, how do I improvise? And there's yeah. not really like a yeah. uh, I don't think there's really a a stock answer for that but for for someone like you who's such a killer player and um you know who's saying like improvisation wasn't the big thing at first um how did yeah. you, you know, what's some what's some advice you would give to somebody for that yeah well the first thing just from my experience i'm proof of this um the message that you probably have if you're asking that question in the first place is i don't know how to do this mm-hmm. other people got this i don't so and i and then the next thing that comes is i can't i guess i just can't do it so that's not true because I was that person 12, 15 years ago. I really couldn't just take a solo on any kind of tune, really. It wasn't my, I just didn't know how to do it, even on piano, even on any instrument, really. Um, and I got over it. I'm, I'm doing well now. <laughs> um, so that's the first step. Um, and then second, I, I find the, the Jamie Abersall videos, it's old. It's just like old jazz improv and he has really intense jazz bebop language ones but he has one called um how how to improvise i think or i can improvise i forget the name of it but it's a great video where he basically just says this is the pentatonic scale and this is playing the changes you know you learn how to arpeggiate the chord it's all on piano so it's quite visual and that message to me of like pentatonic scale is is mindless this is just your heart this is your body you know taking something where you don't have to think about what chords the band are playing that's an important thing to get if you're just more shy, like how I was, or just feeling in- insecure, whatever. Um, but yeah, he, the thought that he just mixed it. He said, okay, you learn your arpeggios, you learn this, and the good improviser mixes. They go back and forth constantly between them. And yeah, so that was a good video back, way back, NEC days, where I was starting to loosen up a little bit. Yeah, I'm rambling, Daniel. No, I man, a, I love I don't it. I have a no, clear cut is... answer. No, that's okay. That's, uh, yeah, clear. That's great. Yeah, de- definitely go check out the basic improvisation video that Jamie put out. I'm sure it's still available on his website. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's the large depressing answer of learn all your arpeggios. <laughs> right, right, right. And then learn how to link them to every other arpeggio. Um, I, I wouldn't do that uh, or do it. it. Definitely. It's a long term goal. But um, yeah, so, but it's helpful. If you know all your arpeggios, then as the chords are progressing, to get that sophisticated sound over tunes where the chords change. Um, and heck, even like a tune with just G and C in it, like a simple folk tune, there's a big difference between G and C. And if you're playing G notes over the C chord, it's going to get a little bland. So even at the basic level, you should kind of learn what the three notes of each chord are, or four notes. Um, but yeah, the other, the, uh, the other answer kind of what I ended up doing really by learning the Jacob de Bondeline melodies and really learning them, memorizing them. And then also analyzing, like those are lead sheet tunes too. There's chords and there's melodies. Um, 
just going through and saying, hey, there's a B flat on this measure and the band's playing A7. Why? And just asking, just noting, saying, that sounds cool. It sounds, it's a really great melody. What's that B flat doing there? And you do that for every note that doesn't, you know, conform. It's obvious why there's a B on a G chord probably to most listeners right now, but there's a lot of notes that pop up in actual tunes that you love that are kind of confusing and might not be as obvious. And that's a learning um, opportunity, each one of those. So, but the, 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 the most important kernel there was learn the actual melody. Yeah. So what you're going <laughs> to yeah. play when you improvise, you're, you're actually, it's not exercises and scales. They're helpful, but like actually learning good melodies to me is the best thing. That could be happy birthday. It could be a video game theme. It could be anything. But start learning actual melodies and don't just read them. Try to learn them by ear. Or if you read them, analyze what each note is. Say, wow, that's the five of that chord. That's the three of that minor chord. Cool. And it's great advice from you because I would have never guessed that improvisation. I mean, you, you, the way you're playing flows so smoothly. And, and again, in your videos, it is very, um, like, I don't want to say emotional, but it's just, it's coming from somewhere. It doesn't oh, feel thanks, like man. it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just like kind of comes out no i get that i get that a lot and i'm aware of that that that's a new thing we're talking about there but that was a surprise to me i really came at this as like music had been a you know very intellectual puzzle first of all all the theory stuff um and it had been you know fun you want to go party with your friends and play you know, <laughs> right. like the rock band the jazz band all that i enjoyed it the emotional thing just started coming as i was devoting more and more time to this instrument and uh and honestly, it was the it was the Shoro too. Those that's part of their thing. I mean, you put your heart on your sleeve for that music. Um, it's it's the name Shoro means I cry in Portuguese. It's oh, the wow. yeah first person singular of the verb to cry. So um, and those you know the musicians I met, Danilo Britu, Dudu Maia, um, Hamilton Holanda especially these oh. guys. Man, their playing's oh, emotional. You look at them and they're putting their heart and soul. So Hamilton was a big influence back then too. I didn't, you know, he's so far above technique wise. I haven't gone there to really do that. But the the soul of what he's playing, like the way he plays, I think there's I, there's got to be a link to the way I play. It's it's got to be pretty obvious now that I've pointed it out. <laughs> what are a couple tunes in that in that genre if somebody wants to jump in? Because obviously you can pick the mm-hmm. wrong song immediately and then be like, oh, what was I thinking? Well, <laughs> and give up right like, away. What would be wrong? Too hard or <laughs> what? The, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes you know how it is. Like okay, sometimes yeah. you you get you, you hear something and you're like, well, yeah. I can do that, and then you get so discouraged. Right, right, right. Um, well, like a slower tempo is good. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, the tune Vibrasoish, Vibrations, it looks almost like the word Vibrations by Jacob is a good one.
especially the B part. It has the way he plays. It's very ornamented in it. If you transcribe that, it would be impossible. <laughs> but like the actual <laughs> simple melody that he wrote is all mostly um, quarter notes. So that would be good. And the A part's not too bad. Mm-hmm. It gives you a taste at a slow tempo of some of the new melodic and harmonic things that you'll be dealing with in the all the tunes, even the hard ones. Mm-hmm. So that, that one's called Vibrations or Vibrasoish by Jacob de Bandelim. And then also by Jacob is Recetta de Samba, Hesecha de Samba, and it means a recipe for a samba. And that one's fast, but the A part's in the key of G. And it's real perky. Everyone loves it. So that's that's a nice starter tune. The B part, if you're uh, trying to read music, it's not that hard. I mean, it's not a bad B part if you're learning it by ear or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're trying to read, it's pretty ugly. On the page <laughs> between the Shoro has um, 16th notes. It's always two beats. So there's eight 16th notes on each measure. And But it's all chopped up. It's super syncopated. So the visual of all those 16th rests and 16th notes in the measure and ties they tie over to the other measure a lot uh, that can be a little intense but sure. the actual tune isn't that hard nice and, yeah so i'd advise really listening to the tune you're going to learn about a million times first because of that problem with the especially if you're not used to reading 16th notes it can look pretty scary uh but yeah learning by ear you know if you have help with the page if you really know the tune i, I think it's possible um for folks who don't quite know all the all the chords um and who don't know how to read music, it's going to be a little trickier. Sure. So if, if you know your chords, the arpeggios especially, um, the melodies in Shoro are actually, that's kind of how I learned some of my arpeggios. Oh, no kidding. Those melodies are more so than jazz or anything. They often have all four notes of the chord in the, me- in the measure that the chord is happening on in the melody. So, yeah, it's a great way. It's a fun way to learn arpeggios, really. Um, and, yeah, some of them are blatant, too. I mean, the tune Desvarada which Mike and Chris played on that Into the Cauldron CD way back. Um, That tune is just arpeggio exercises, the whole thing. And it's it's great, but it's a song. It's it's cool. It's it's a great tune. But yeah, I mean, you could sit down and say, I'm going to practice D minor arpeggio and very clinically and methodically, or you could just learn the A part of Desverada. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, learn the first two measures. That's the D, D minor arpeggio. Learn the next two measures. That's the A7 arpeggio. Great yeah. advice, man. So yeah, the, so part of improvising, but here's another leg, is make sure if you're learning a tune, you know, learn to play it. But if you want to have that, you know, snowball into you being able to improvise and compose on your own, then analyze each note of that melody, why it's there on the D minor chord. When it switches to A7, what's that note to A7? What's that note to the scale? Um, and look for repeated patterns. Sometimes you'll see a run on D minor, and da 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 and then it switches to A7, and it just goes a note lower and does the exact same pattern. So that's called sequencing. And so that sort of analysis, like learn it for sure. That's most important. Learn to play it, learn to sing it, learn to have it in your in your body. But then go and take a look, especially start with the notes that sound cool. If there's a measure you love the sound of, say, all right, I got to figure out what's going on there. Because everything's repeatable. If you've learned it on D minor, 
it'll work in all the other minor keys when they're the one chord. But you have to, you know, figure out what they are so you can transpose. Exactly. Oh, that's great, man. So let's jump into June Apple because that was a real cool album. Um, taking songs that are popular in, um, yeah, obviously in the bluegrass genre, but you guys kind of turned them on their ear a little bit and did, did kind of different variations of them. Which I would love to hear what the what the thought was when you sat down to rec- record that album because it's just it's one of my favorites. So. Um, one thing with that album, I, I produced most of the other ones I did, but that was produced by Eric Sky, the guitar player on it. Um, and he's a real audiophile. He's into the mics, the recording process, like getting it as dial and instruments, of course. He has a signature guitar from Santa Cruz, and he's a real acoustic tone guy. That's his. He's a he's a real maniac for it. So um, that's partly why it sounds really good. We recorded it in uh, right near here in uh, Corbett, Oregon in a barn that's outfitted with a reel-to-reel. We recorded on analog tape. Oh, actually. did you really? Yeah, wow. with like super awesome mics, and it was really, it was something else, actually. Um, so that whole thing, he's really, and the mixing, mastering, so the sound itself is, uh, yeah, it's a step up from <laughs> a lot of my stuff, just because <laughs> someone at the helm really cared about that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but as far as the process, it really just started, Eric and I had been playing jazz, gigs with a bass player and sometimes just the two of us mm-hmm. uh you know M- miles davis uh john coltrane kind of you know contemplation maybe mccoy tyner eric's a big mccoy tyner fan but we do also all of me and minor swing and you know stuff like that too kind of restaurant gigs that's how it started and then we were planning to do this miles davis album as a trio but eric uh decided to do it solo guitar instead a recreation of kind of blue yeah yeah so that's kind of what i always did with eric and we were playing a fiddle tunes just for fun he said he wanted to learn them do you want to get together and play every now and then so we were doing them and then he came and said hey i think our first album should be fiddle tunes and i was kind of taken by surprise (laughs) (laughs) I, i know i'm you know I, I know people like Alan Bybee. I know people like Jordan Ramsey. And I'm like, what? I'm not putting a bluegrass fiddle album out. <laughs> these, these are my friends, man. They're, they're going to sniff me out. So, uh, But he kept persevering and saying, look, man, you're going to do this your way. Because you play Irish music, you do this different thing with these tunes. And, you know. So, yeah, we just and once we decided to do it, he, we just get together at one another's house. He lives in Portland here with me. And really just play through the tunes and see what happens. And he was really a stickler for tempos, just what tempo is the best one for each of us and for the tune. Mm -hmm. So he'd keep track of that. But other than that, we didn't really arrange so much as we kept playing them and letting, you know, weird stuff happen if it happened. And it was generally a trade back and forth. But some of those rehearsals we'd go into kind of just no one's taking a solo. We're just making textural things over the chord progression. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of those rehearsals would be 10 minutes on one tune and we'd listen back and say, that was cool. Oh, that was crazy. <laughs> but other than that, there was not a whole lot. I, you know, like I made one intro to the second tune, Fisher's Hornpipe. I made it up there at the studio. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. 
And we do it now on stage. So some of the arrangements came from the studio. Yeah. But yeah, we went in pretty, I mean, we were just both obsessively practicing the tunes with play-alongs at home, Mm -hmm. you know, and working on it. And then we'd get together and rehearse. And then, you know, finally, one of our meetings was in the studio. Wow. That's awesome. How many uh, did, yeah. How many days did it, did you guys do that album over? Well, the actual tracking was just two days. Was we didn't really? do the usual thing. Like, I don't know about yourself, Daniel, but for me, I go in and, you know, we track. But then if there's mistakes, we go and punch. We can fix and edit. Right, we can, right. We do it all there in the studio. Yeah. Eric was different. We just tracked everything to tape, <laughs> analog tape. And it was two days only, and that was it. Wow. And that's the last time I was in the studio. And he went after the fact and post-produced in a way that to me was a little bit like, man, I wish we could be in the studio to just fix that instead of trying to edit some other thing together. Sure. Um, yeah, so he spent months and months editing, um, you know, just like making the arrangements together. And there, it wasn't a whole lot. It wasn't huge, but... Mm-hmm you know, the stuff you would have normally done in the studio. So for me, it was only two fun-filled days. And we went and stayed at a, there's a place here called McMenamin's. They have real cool hotels with bars and movie theaters and stuff in them. So we, we stayed at the McMenamin's Edgefield that night and listened to the first day and just generally had some fun and relaxed, you know, and then went in the second day and knocked it all out. Yeah, the L- yeah it's so. so good, man. It is just one of my favorites. It's, it's, always, it's always getting played. So, you know, I love it. Yeah, me too. I don't listen to my stuff that I made, but uh, that one I put so little effort into the mixing and post production that it's a joy. To <laughs> yeah, that that helps. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's just a memory of those two days and the fun night we had at Edgefield, and you know, it's it's also a really cool album. It's, it's, yeah, but you know, honestly, as an improviser, I don't know. This is for my colleagues and you know, people who you know, master improvisers. For me, I don't know how I did some of the stuff on that CD. I really don't know what it was. It was, you know, sometimes it was inspired, but sometimes it was out of sheer panic. Like I have to do something. <laughs> here. Um, so some of it, it's like, there's a mystery element in this improv thing. I'm not in charge of everything that you hear on that album. And when you come to see me in concert, so I'm getting a little mystical here, but I do live in Portland, Oregon. But yeah, there's, there's definitely, for me anyway, that's something I can't deny when I go, go watch a video of my band or something or hear that CD. Great, though. I mean, I think that's what makes people great players. You know what I mean? Like Hendrix, Bill Monroe, you can listen to a live album of both those guys, and you're never going to hear the same version yeah. of a tune twice. And that's yep. how you find the magic. You just keep going for yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. And that, man, that's like, I've, I've just been with Don Julian, but that's like our mantra. That's what we kept talking about the whole time. And we're aware of it because on stage we've done about 13 gigs now. And every time it's different. We don't, again, no rehearsal. We just made a set list, made sure we knew the tunes, just melody and chords. Uh, but every time we go out, it's it's pretty out there. I mean, Don is a maniac improviser. He can really go. He can go out there. So, but yeah, and we recorded the album, though, in a in a cabin with no audience. So a lot of that stuff got tamed. I mean, we just weren't doing as many chances because there wasn't, there's an element also for me anyway, an improv of performing. There's people sitting right there and I want to, I want to not impress them, but I want to make them, I just want to keep them interested. And I want to, they're inspiring me. They just said, woo, so cool. I'm encouraged. I'm going to try something else now. And in, yeah, in the studio, that's a hard thing to replicate. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, this topic just came up with the, um, the live streaming stuff now that people are like, Oh, would you go see what? Well, can't these bands like live stream and, and, um, man, I mean like a band, like for instance, a uh, live stream, I just happened to watch when I had a night off that was on was, uh, Billy strings, Jared Walker, mm-hmm. great mandolin player, but dude, that show is 
so much based on the feed off of the audience too. You know what I mean? Like that's uh, you know, so I, yeah, I don't think you can replace a live audience with uh with just uh, studio camera. That's absolutely understandable. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So what you do is something you do something different. Really, is you mm-hmm. know you do something a little more controlled in, in the audio studio anyway. Like, and it's kind of appropriate because if someone's going to listen to a CD over and over again, you know, when you're going for it on stage in front of an audience, there's going to be the good stuff, but there's also going to be a few mistakes that if you by the twentieth listen, you're like, oh man, here comes that clam <laughs> at the top of the B part. Here it comes. Yeah. So you know, it was a little more controlled and more reverence toward the tunes than what we usually do. But there's, we certainly went way off the map on a few tunes in the CD as well. So I'll be excited to see what people, people think. What type of tunes? Uh, a, a mixture. So like autumn leaves and E minor is just, you know, just simple jazz standard. Um, a couple original tunes. So Donna is kind of like a tango, a little waltz. I have a waltz, uh, bluegrass fiddle tune. There's at least one of those. Sweet. Yeah, just a big mix of things. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. I've I've loved the concerts. It's been, it's been really fun. Yeah, I bet that'd be two two powerhouses there going for it. Yeah, but chilling. We're not. We're just kind of chilling and being ourselves and kind of. So it's good. Don's been a good uh, calming influence on me. I'm kind of the more <laughs> spastic one, and yeah, he, just the way he approaches. He's just like not out to impress. He just like plays very, but he's a rock star. His right hand is awesome, man. I've learned so much playing with him. Yeah. And then and then speaking of not playing with someone, you have Mandalone. That is your <laughs> yeah, uh, right. That is your um most recent release. Right. And, and there's yeah, also Mandalone. I should point out there's also a book version for this yeah. album as well that people can purchase. Yeah, yeah, Mandalone was just the fact that I've been making solo arrangements, just you know, just taking a song that might have a whole band and a couple singers and trying to get every part across on just the mandolin. So um and that came out organically just from sitting at home and trying to learn tunes that had melodies and chords. You know, if I'm learning, you know, Reset to Samba that Choro was telling you about, it has chords and it has a melody. I'm used to learning things on piano where my left hand would play the full chord and my right hand could learn the melody. So I just started trying to do that on mandolin to put these melodies in context when I didn't have a play along CD with me. Just, you know, and some of them evolved into these 10 arrangements that are on mandolin. So which are kind of full on uh, arranged. For example, Here Comes the Sun has, you know, God knows how many instruments and voices on the CD. It's all on one mandolin. So yeah, a couple Beatles tunes, something was a, a real one I'm proud of. And you have to keep it interesting too. The words change on a song like something. By the third verse, you're playing the same notes on the mandolin. So it's the challenge of making this interesting enough for an audience to sit through it. Yeah, and it sounds also so great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I spent a lot of time. I didn't do the tape and all that stuff, but I spent a lot of time getting that tone of the mandolin and the the, uh, 
you know, not a whole lot of EQ, but, mm-hmm. you know, get the, the reverb right. And I'm really psyched about the way it sounds. Oh, it's so great. And I'm a huge Beatles fan, too. So just to uh, to, to hear the Beatles news, I, Yesterday is on there. and Yeah, yeah. Yesterday. Great. Yeah, that took forever, man. Those things are hard. <laughs> I can't imagine. Just to get them right. Because, you know, you have most of them one chord. Like, ah, crap, there's a C. Or sorry, a G in the melody over a C chord. And suddenly, <laughs> suddenly there's one measure that just is terrible. But everyone knows the song, so... You got to either figure it out or scrap the tune or first try it in a different key. You just, so these things are heartbreakers. But so when they finally get there. Yeah. But then yesterday is two minutes long. That's after all that work. So. Yeah. I know. Probably probably a year's worth of work into two minutes. Yeah. yeah some, and a lot of them just don't work out for every one on that album. There's 10 that knows, you know, that almost worked. Do you have a dream tune that you want to uh, get a solo version of down? Wow, I mean Jake Shimabukuro, the uke player, just he's done uh what do you call the class Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. So that that would be like the Mount Everest, I guess, and he nailed it, so I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, that kid is <laughs> yeah. well I say kid, he's not a kid any longer, but yeah. holy moly. Yeah, he's been an inspiration to me for sure. Hamilton for sure with the solo thing, I mean. Hamilton Delana definitely was what kind of made me see it as a real solo instrument, but I love what Jake's doing on the uke. Uh, those solo arrangements of his. So yeah, I don't know. He and Sierra just did a tour together, or a couple oh, shows wow. together, cool. a tour, which would have nice. been amazing to see. Oh sweet man, that's really great. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I could pick a dream tune. I'm, I, I've got Eleanor Rigby geared up now. I've, I've taken it out to a few a few concerts now. Oh yeah, cool. Doing pretty well actually. I like I like the way that one's going in the original key too. Oh no kidding! It's always nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing with those Beatles tunes. They're they're instantly recognizable. Makes it kind of tough to, uh, <laughs> you know, you you try to change it up a little bit, and you're like, ah, it's right. driving me, yeah. driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah, and then the other solution: don't try to do it exactly like the CD. Realize that you're doing, you know, you're doing something different. So it's cool that you're you have to get it all the melody there, how to get it all thematically right, but you don't have to nail everything, and you can also do some stuff a little more abstractly like instead of exactly like the cd but yeah part of the fun with those iconic ones are people know it and they're wondering how you're going to pull off x y and z coming up in the tune which is totally if you watch the ted talk with jake doing bohemian rhapsody that's the whole thing like how's he going to do this next thing like what's and you know and obviously he's not going to have a full orchestra so sometimes he goes down to one string for the part you thought was going to be the full orchestra so there's yeah there's a lot of a lot of fun arranging things that I've learned and I really enjoy from doing those solo arrangements. Let's talk about let's talk a little bit about gear the uh, nerdy mandolin stuff going. You have a uh, very unique looking mandolin. Yeah. What's uh who, what's the brand of yeah. that? Yeah. So what I play is an arrow, as in bow and bow and arrow. Um. So arrow mandolins and guitars is Paul Lestock, here in the state I live in, Oregon. He lives in Mosier, a little town outside of Hood River in the Columbia river gorge. So, um, yeah, he's a, just a solo builder and does really awesome, uh, guitars, the Django guitars. He's, he's making a lot of these tenor guitars now that look like Django guitars, but they have five strings. Um, the low string is an F. So you're only one half step away from the lowest note of the guitar. Um, yeah. And he does mandolas and, and, uh, mandocellos, octave mandolins too. But his, uh, normal mandolin, uh, is called the, the G model as in after F style comes G. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's know. great. How'd you get turned on to those? Just just ran just into him. Uh, yeah, I met him at Mandolin Symposium. Strangely enough, but he <laughs> lived only an hour away from me. So I, you know, was definitely after that first symposium aware of the fact that I'd want to upgrade my mandolin. I 
you know, I had a decent, okay one, but I definitely suddenly wanted a better one after playing all these really good mandolins down there. And, you know, he was pretty hip to that. He, he saw that. So he kept bringing mandolins out when he was in Portland, he'd drop one off and say, try this one out. You know, no one else was doing that. And it costs a lot of money to buy one and, you know, try one out on mandolin cafe. Oh yeah. Did a couple times. So, you know, by the third one he brought out, it was feeling so good. I said, I think I've, I think I'm here. <laughs> I think I've got one. And I, don't have to worry about like going shopping all over the world for an instrument. Yeah. And then I've just, you know, I tend to imprint. I just like, this was the only mandolin I was working with. So I really got to know it. That's so cool. How long have you had it for? Um, 14 years. Wow. Yeah. My only mandolin, honestly, I have a little Kentucky beater that I can teach on if this thing's in the shop, but I don't have another gig mandolin. Actually, this is it. I'm definitely not a gearhead. What do you um? Would you do you try to play it? It looks like a lot of the videos with you are mic'd. Do you uh play when you play live? Do you plug in? Do you mic? Oh yeah, um, yeah. It depends. I mean, the house con. I play most of my gigs are house concerts, and you know, fairly small ones too. You know, twenty twenty to fifty people would be kind of what I do, and some some of those are pretty good just acoustic. And when I can do just acoustic, I do. But you know, some of them, if it seems a little big space or some kind of funny acoustic thing going on, maybe a little amp. But when I'm out on the road, sometimes I don't have a choice. I'm just, I fly and I'm not taking gear with me. So, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's a gig by gig choice. And, you know, some of my gigs, like in the winery or just, you know, the local corporate things, definitely just a little small AER amp down by the left side of my chair and, you know, unobtrusive and not really that loud, those things. With the Shirtler uh, pickup I have, it's, you can't get too much volume, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. A little push, basically, so people can hear it over the, the chit chat. Sure. What kind of a was it the what shirtler do you use? Uh, the shirtler Dynam, and I have it just stuck on sticks on the front of your mandolin. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I eventually those things come off, and it's an XLR, like a microphone style mic uh, connection at the end of it, and which was a little uh, just too much work after a while, and they, they'd also tend to get pulled. It was a real thin cord, so I've just got a. I transformed it into a what do you call end pin jack quarter quarter inch jack so you can just plug it in just like an electric guitar so i just plug in and that's it oh perfect yeah it works out good and sound men too if they have a you know a di box and a quarter inch cable that's i'm good with that i'd almost rather do that than a mic not not for the sound mic's gonna get better sound but i move around a lot yeah i was gonna say a mic for you um yeah that that's a problem and the feedback it really started because mics just don't work that well on mandolin lower level kind of clubs a right it's going to be a nightmare so you get used to plugging in yeah yeah that's yeah cool. and there's there's the ideal world where i would yeah i'd go with the sound man and whatever great mic he uses for you know right, right. <laughs> whatever all the other good mandolin players whatever yeah i would go with that but my world is not an ideal world i'm in some pretty chaotic situations still sometimes and but yeah my, my favorite way to play is in a nice sounding room with 30 or 40 people in it you know, wood floors, plaster walls, some, you know, the audience's sweaters may be dampening the sound. <laughs> Vault, vaulted ceiling would be nice. So right, right. Every now and then the right house concert, you get, you're like, man, this is going to sound amazing. Totally acoustic. And that's my favorite. Way to play. That's great. What type of strings and picks do you, uh, do you use? Yeah. Uh, well, I've been using Elixir mediums for like a long time. And pretty happy with that. And then uh, the pick is Wiegand, the one that has three corners and uh, that collection of circles in the middle, like holes, in the actual holes drilled in the pick. 
And there's three of those. The one I use is the thinnest one, which is one millimeter. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. They wow. go one and then 120 and then 140. It's one, it means one, 1. 1.2, 1. 1.4. So, yeah, most of my colleagues and students that use the same pick, it's a pretty popular pick. Um, they, they tend to use the two thicker ones. And mm-hmm. I've, I've downgraded. I did two originally, but I've gone down to the one millimeter. No kidding. Was there a, what was the reasoning behind that? Um, easier. Easier to play. Uh-huh. Um, I really, those dog picks and the Golden Gate and even the D'Andrea uh, Proplec, which is awesome, I find them too rounded and a little too fat to be able to actually play. Um, I'm just more into a tip and I'm more into thinner picks. Yeah, cool, man. It, it, every time I see Grisman, I am blown away. He's given me two of his picks from the, the gigs and it just hit his, his speed and accuracy yeah. on that circle blow my mind man <laughs> right yeah 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 daniel we're, we're just for the listeners we're talking about those dog picks that are pretty round they don't really have the, the points the triangle point you know that we're used to on a fender guitar store pick yeah and yeah and i feel the same way man but you can't fault the pick because he and so many players sound awesome he sounds so incredible yeah. i haven't found a way to actually do my thing like going back and forth with that i just don't get a good sound I can't figure out how to play right. So I've gotten real into the, I have a pretty, you know, finely tipped, uh, like try, what do you call it? A point, like a triangle mm-hmm. on, on each side. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I used a little smaller Wigan. just, it's a more teardrop shape, but it's still got a, mm-hmm. a yeah, pick, yeah, no, a tip edge on it. But yeah, I love yeah, it. I think they sound great too. I don't know. I've used them on lots of instruments over the years. I used to teach uh, kids and I play guitar all day and getting that Wigan, the one you're talking about on yeah. guitar just felt great you know it was a totally different experience than using a guitar store kind of fender pick i love them those yeah and they just whatever that material is just does the trick so warm sounding but yet has a tack yeah yeah i like it all right and then so let's we, we're to the final question we kind of already talked the 10 minutes thing for uh-huh. our players but next next is the uh if, if you had to pick a beer do you have a favorite beer right now that if you're playing gigs or a local beer that you love or oh man i mean if i'm in a pub that i can trust mm-hmm. um guinness yeah. from the tap like definitely um is always welcome um maybe it's just because it's saint patrick's day week i'm saying that <laughs> and i and i missed it this year uh <laughs> oh no every, well everyone missed it this year yeah so, i got lucky my it was my last gig it was my oh last really you played gig. this week man. i played wow. tuesday night yeah i'm amazed you were playing this week i have i've got one gig in under the right right in the last minute on last wednesday and that was the last one they were all canceled after that they shut it down when we were playing they had announced that at midnight i'd gotten a text that at oh, midnight, that was it. yep, everything was. They were closed. They and they had it capped at fifty people, so mm-hmm. they literally, oh, wow. yeah. yeah. And this is a big room um, that I play all the time, and uh, it was weird to play it to just fifty people. But it was cool. But there was definitely a weird vibe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right, right. they definitely feel like a weight, but the people who yeah. were there were. You know. Yeah, it's the truth. Yeah. So my my more serious answer though, because I don't drink it too often, would be any IPA. But specifically, I'm digging the Inversion IPA from uh, Deschutes in Bend, Oregon. It's oh, a wow. semi-local beer. Inversion, I don't know if it's available nationally. I'm but writing it down right now. It's been a pretty good, you know, it's definitely definitely one of my faves. I'll check it out. Hopefully they got it. We have, <laughs> there's so many of these places now that you can find some of this crazy beer, you know. it's uh, Yeah, that's a pretty big brewery, Deschutes Brewery. So that's probably available in some national stores, too. Well, man, I wish uh, I wish I was gonna. I know you were you were supposed to be in Savannah here 
and that's right you know oh yeah 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 i was gonna mention that earlier too it's a shame that was gonna be a that was gonna be a mandolin event man 11 of us (laughs) all playing together i was still look everyone we were all looking forward to it i can't imagine one of the bummers of this we're the gare mandolin orchestra is what we're talking about yeah that's uh i think sharon gilchrist and mike marshall Mm -hmm. and Man. Radim Zenkel, Brian Oberlin, Dana Rath, Adam Roskowitz, Eric Stein, uh, Katarina Lichtenberg. Uh, I don't even know the specifics. It, it it changes a little bit each time. I forget who's on this one or who <laughs> was to be on this one. Man, well, there's always there's always next year. Yeah, well, man, it has been a pleasure talking with you. That I am literally uh, the highest uh, compliment I can pay to somebody after they do this podcast. Is I can't wait till uh, I just go and pick up my mandolin now because I'm so motivated Aww. to do some picking after this <laughs> yeah, conversation. Yeah, me too. So. Now that I've been talking about all this, it's like I better go <laughs> practice, man. <laughs> I better go earn this. Oh, yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Dan. Yeah, Thanks thank so you much. so much. All right. Thanks so much to Tim for being on the podcast. Go to mandolinsandbeard.com to find all the links to Tim's stuff. Uh, sign up for that course. If you got some free time or some downtime here over the next couple weeks, pick up his album and the, and the corresponding book with it as well. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Be safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.